find brand new worlds right here on Earth, where anything is possible. Same planet, different dimension. I found the gateway. The Rewatch Podcast presents The Sliders Rewatch, dedicated to the series Sliders on Fox and Sci-Fi Channel. Join us each week as we continue crossing the Einstein-Rosendolsky Bridge and find ourselves in strange new worlds. Email your thoughts on each episode to the Rewatch Podcast at gmail.com. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rewatchpodcast or on Twitter at rewatchpod. Welcome back to the Rewatch Podcast and our Sliders Rewatch. I'm Corey. And I'm Tom. Thank you again for joining us here. Uh, Today we're discussing two more episodes of Sliders, Fever and Last Days. So, kicking it off with episode one, Fever, written by Ann Powell and Rose (laughs) Shat. I was like, how's he going to get this one? (laughs) Shacked? Maybe Shacked. I'd say Shacked. Yeah. Rose Shacked. And directed by Mario Azapodi. This originally aired March 29th of 1995. My good woman, we haven't even seen the menu yet. There is no menu. You got a problem with that? Take it up with the CHC. Looks like airline food. Yeah, only not as good. We join the sliders on a world where an oil deposit has been discovered in Quinn's backyard, making him rich. Unfortunately, they are due to slide in just a few short minutes. They slide into the next dimension, with Wade falling in the middle of the street. She is saved by a yellowish-skinned man who looks at Wade aghast when she kisses him for thanks. This world is apparently affected by a deadly plague called the Q-Virus, named after this world's Quinn. Remy and a dizzy and headache-suffering Wade find a hotel room while the professor and our Quinn go to find medicine. They discover a local pharmacy that does not carry medicines known to them when they start asking for aspirin. A worker in the store mistakes our Quinn for Virus Quinn and calls the CHC, hoping Quinn will become a martyr. Arturo escapes, but Quinn is captured. While Wade suffers from hallucinations, the professor explains that in this world, Quinn was a failed medical student who let a virus out on the population on purpose. Wade leaves the hotel room still suffering from hallucinations and the professor and Remy rescue her just in time to be approached by even more infected Q victims. They are taken to Virus Q's underground hospital ward where Q victims can live out their last days in peace. Virus Q explains that a Dr. Morton infected him, told him he was fine, and let him go, thereby releasing the plague on the public. The professor learns that in this dimension, penicillin was never discovered. He immediately begins working with mold found in the garbage to try and recreate antibiotics. Meanwhile, our Quinn is repeatedly tested and examined to find out how he was cured of the Q virus. Despite his explanations of being from another dimension, the doctor threatens him with death and an autopsy if he doesn't come clean. Eventually, Dr. Stanley, who was Virus Quinn's lover, helps him escape but is shot in the attempt. 
The sliders are reunited with the professor's penicillin working. Dr. Morton attacks Virus Quinn's ward, but is stopped short by the appearance of both Quinns. Virus Quinn reveals that the cure has been found and is being shared with others all around the world, and that the poor and sick will not be controlled by the rich any longer. The sliders slide. We cut to Wade recovering in a tent while Professor, Remy, and Quinn decide not to tell her about the cannibals nearby. They ambushed him. There was nothing I could do. What, did they kill him? No, I think they used a tranquilizer dart. They're probably taking them to a protection area. What? Uh, a quarantine area for people with a Q. Q? Look, the queen of this world was a failing medical student who deliberately infected the general population with the plague. So? Well, he's public enemy number one. If they've got him somewhere, they're going to announce it on the news. Well, then, we've got to get him out. We've only got 28 hours before we slide. You may have to go on by yourself. What? <coughs> oh, we can't possibly take this plague to another world. What do you mean, we? She's the one who's... Oh, I'm not feeling too well myself. You too. Okay, so we have a little bit of trivia on this episode, so what do we got? Well, in this one, there wasn't a whole lot. Uh, originally, the opening scene with the, in the diner was meant to start just outside of the bathroom with Wade giggling about always wanting to go into the boys' bathroom, and that's when they go in and they see the poster of Patient Zero all together. The other thing was Wade's hallucinations were meant to be a bit humorous at first, um, there's there was supposed to be a scene where Wade looks at Arturo and she says, my God, Professor, it's so big. And he's like, what? And she's, your brain, it's so big. And you were supposed to see his brain like pulsating or something at the top of his head. And I, I guess that maybe they cut that because maybe the effects weren't quite what they wanted or they couldn't do that. So they cut that out. And then uh, some of her other hallucinations later were supposed to be a lot scarier with some some kind of evil, feral red eyes in the dark and giant hands grabbing at her. This was when she was on the street. They were supposed to be a little bit scarier than what they uh, actually were in the episode. Nothing too major or, um, you know, changing the storyline at all, really, for this episode. Yeah, maybe just a few things that the effects budget couldn't quite uh, get up on. And just, I mean, it just it comes to mind um, with, with uh, Wade's cut lines about, Professor, it's so big, like, like... Just her lines the last couple episodes about the sexual revolution and everything. It seems like they were trying to go a certain way with her. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's good that they cut those things out or, or toned it down a little, though. Yeah, that is a bit of an awkward line. You can see why they probably cut it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you suppose they're going to eat first? I suppose the young are more tender. That's your form beauty. That's a universal tenet. Don't look at me. I'm just a chicken McNugget. You're the quarter pounder. Okay, getting into our discussion of uh, fever. I guess beginning with uh, an unexplored element from Summer of Love, as we kind of talked about, they, they underexplored the idea of introducing a deadly species into a world. It sort of just, it was there and then it was gone. So here we actually do have a discussion about whether or not they should take a deadly plague or deadly virus to another world right because even though they don't have the medicine here the antibiotics penicillin whatever in this world the next world you know probably would so they could go there get penicillin and they're fine but 
you know, like uh, Professor says, what if they don't? Then here we are. We've brought a plague to a new world. And it's hard to say whether or not they do have that on the next world they end up on because it seems like the people there are a bit more primitive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And whether or not the whole world's like that or they just happen to slide into an underdeveloped region of the planet but exactly right you know they could have brought this plague to uh, an undeveloped society and just wipe them all out even if they are cannibals i mean who cares <laughs> right because you're, you're taking a chance you don't know you don't know where you're gonna go so maybe they have what you need maybe they don't yeah so it was cool to sort of have that element brought back around here in this episode mm-hmm, definitely and of course you know the idea of having a, a plague i think it parallels the black plague Back in the day, like that was a, a major part of human history in that when you have large amounts of people living in a central location, it's easy for a disease to spread. And just as in the Black Plague, you have nothing to fight it with. So you can understand that they tried their hardest to try and figure out how to fight a massive plague, but things that are right under their noses get overlooked. Right. And like, it's, it's easy to see why they would just want to have a place where they could just not be worried about being taken away. You know, they could just live in this little quote hospital ward that virus Q came up with and just, you know, live out the end of their days with some, some semblance of dignity, you know, without being thrown into, you know, body bags and things like that. I like the idea that penicillin does come from something that would be considered dirty. Mm -hmm. It's mold. Mm -hmm. It's in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I looked up like, cause I, you know, I don't know a lot about, you know, penicillin and how it came about and everything, but I looked it up, you know, and it was just totally by accident when Alexander Fleming, I think his name was, I, I hope I'm right there. He had left a Petri dish uncovered just by accident. He just forgot, you know, to cover it back up. And that's when he discovered, you know, the bacterial growth or whatever being killed by the, the mold or the mold was on there and attacking the stuff in the petri ditch and i was like oh well that's kind of that's kind of neat because in this world maybe he was just a little bit more careful and he covered the petri dish and so he never had that discovery in this world yeah and through the dialogue between the professor and quinn or virus quinn they actually do talk about how you know they they never really thought about funguses and molds i guess so after i guess that initial point where you know it was just as simple as covering up a petri dish they never really went back to that because it was just considered dirty so right why why bother but then the professor explains that you can you can take this mold put it through some warm or hot water and that releases all the antibacterial elements contained within then right. it's as simple as just mixing in a little sugar and mm -hmm. a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine goes down <laughs> <laughs> there you go exactly Exactly. So, yeah, uh, the only problem I really have with it is that it seemed to fix him up pretty quick smart. Yeah. <laughs> like, there wasn't a lot of time between when he drank it, felt woozy, went to sleep, and then woke up and he was cool. Well, you know, that's 44 minutes that we got to, you know, we only have 44 <laughs> minutes to do the episode, so we got <laughs> to get it done quick, you know? <laughs> Fast acting. It was extra strength, you know, yeah. extra strength. Uh, I still think they could have written in that, you know, maybe it took a day. Just add an extra day right. to the timer or something like that. Right. But yeah, you're not overly a big problem, but still a little bit of a sticking point. Right. Okay, so Al Quinn gets captured by the CHC, mm -hmm. and uh, they're, they're doing all sorts of tests on him because they think, well, naturally, they think he's... He's there, Quinn. Mm -hmm. And uh, during the, the process of examining him, we do get the information that the alternate versions of yourself on every planet are pretty much 
physically identical right down to your fingerprints. Right. And I think that is an interesting side of these uh, interdimensional travels is that just because they're your alternates doesn't make them a different person. They actually are you. Right. They may make different decisions along the way, but for the most part, they really are just you. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I guess another aspect of this episode, too, is this battle of the classes as well. I mean, this is a bit of an age-old story, really. But, you know, we don't actually get a lot to do with, say, like the rich side of San Francisco here. But right. we do find out that it's pretty much the rich can live in sterilized environments while the poor get sick and die. And it makes you wonder whether or not Dr. Morton had this as his plan the whole time. Mm -hmm. Because he can now sell, uh, I guess, items to sterilize and whatnot to right. the rich. And he can make money on that. But at the same time, he... He didn't seem to be rolling in the dough or anything like that. No, he didn't. But they did mention, you know, the Surgeon General in there as well. So this this sort of goes all the way up to the highest levels, you know, of the national government, not just local. You know, so it's not just Dr. Morton. Maybe he's like one of the um, important people in that whole scheme of things, you know, trying to push this forth to to get the control. He might He might not be the top guy is what I'm saying. That's a good point. And it is actually played against the opening and closing scenes as well, because it opens with everybody getting mega rich. Right, it does. I didn't even think about that until you mentioned <laughs> that. It does. So it's like, how, how, how can that change a person? Right, yeah. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more with how the rich live as well. That would have been some nice, uh, like, to juxtapose with the way Virus Quinn lives with his, you know, with all the infected to see how the the rich were living that might have been neat to see too yeah and as it stands all we really get is like a infomercial trying to sell you yeah. like put this <laughs> over your door <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. we'll give you two for the price of one exactly i don't know how well that would work i don't know it just seemed like yeah this will sterilize just as good as you know the big ones you see in the you know in the facilities yeah i don't know about that <laughs> So, yeah. And then, of course, the ending scene as well. They're on a planet of cannibals. Mm -hmm. So that's almost the same thing. You know, we've seen the kind of devastation that just a physical touch or kiss can have on a person. Mm -hmm. You know, and then we get into a world where they actually eat other people. Right. <laughs> Doesn't seem very healthy. No, no, not, not, not too much I <laughs> so i noticed you know in this episode remy doesn't have a whole lot to do i really figured it out you know at the end when the professor says i'm going to work on the antibiotic you go come up with a plan to rescue quinn and remy's plan is basically just drive up in the cab and pick him up that's his that's his whole plan there's not much that develops his character at all he doesn't come up with any crazy scheme to to break into the place he just sort of drives up and is in the right place at just the right time and boom he's able to to get quinn back to the group this will come into play a little bit later when we have some things to say in our uh, messages from uh, earth prime but yeah it's just it's just he didn't have a whole lot going on this episode you know i mean i know wade was sick for a lot of it but still she was she had some stuff going on of course, uh, Quinn had his thing going on with the doctors and professors, the savior, making the penicillin. So Remy was kind of left left out this episode. Yeah, it was awfully convenient. He just happens to show up in the taxi at just the right moment. I know. <laughs> I know. And I didn't I never noticed it before until again. Now I'm rewatching with this like a different mindset than I had before. And like, yeah, he's just driving up. and Oh, hey, come on. Let's go, man. I'm here to rescue you. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, well, OK. That works. And I'd love that they brought back Pavel. 
the cab yes. driver. <laughs> yes. And Remy has that wonderful moment too, where Pavel says, "Oh yeah, it's my destiny to drive a cab," and Remy's just like, "You have no idea." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, he also did have that funny moment of, I guess, trying to check into the motel, where he's oh, yeah. trying to trying to convince the clerk there that he that uh, Way's just hung over. She's all right. Mm-hmm. She's had a few too many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets he he has those lines. He is the a little bit of the comic relief there. I did want to mention too. There's the moment with Virus Quinn mm-hmm. where uh, Virus Quinn gives him the earring. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> to say like, oh, she'll recognize this. So that's how she'll know you're telling the truth. And Remy looks at him and says, "Oh no, thanks, man. I'm a straight arrow." <laughs> and I was like, "Ooh, yes." He's very quotable, you know. <laughs> Rembrandt is very quotable. That's very true. But uh, you know, all in all, I thought it was a good episode. Probably not the strongest episode. Was this the? This was the actually. They showed this one right after the pilot, didn't they? Originally, they did. Yes. So they they must have thought it was a little strong. Oh, you know what it was? That's right. One of the things that I I remember reading about was that there was um, a movie. I think it was Outbreak. Right. And that had come out around that time, and so with the success of that movie, I think that's why they pushed this up. Trying to rip from the entertainment headlines there and now it's time for another episode of sassy comebacks with wade Wells. no wonder the waitress was staring at me you always think women are staring at you this has been another episode of sassy comebacks with wade wells well moving on to our second episode today this episode is Last Days, written by Dan Lane and directed by Michael Cush. And this originally aired April 5th, 1995. So these two were in order, one after the other, just placed a bit earlier in the track. Most government agencies... Dang, All right, all right, calm down. What do you mean, calm down? I'm not ready to die. Who is? You missed the point, girl. The fact that I would never bless this world with another hit single is bad enough. But to think that the crying man might be taken out by a, a passing comet? Not a comet, an asteroid. Oh, you I don't even want to talk to. Come back. Rembrandt. The sliders arrive in a world where it's discovered that an asteroid is heading for Earth, threatening the western part of the United States. Now, while many people have been fleeing, trying to get out of the zone of danger, most everyone else believes this to be the end of the world and is thus living life to its fullest. To some, this means partying. To others, it means taking advantage of people. And to others still, it means anarchy and destruction. Our quartet divides up with Remy seeking solace in first a church and then later a party. The professor investigates the attempts to stop the asteroid, and Quinn and Wade go off to try to find their families. Now, Quinn and Wade discover that while Wade family doesn't exist on this world, Quinn's does, although they are not home and it looks like they haven't been for some time. They discover what looks like sliding equipment down in the basement, but it turns out to be time travel equipment, which this world's Quinn was working on to no avail. After several failed attempts to repurpose the equipment, Quinn and Wade share some close emotional and tender moments and several kisses. Meanwhile, the professor has found Conrad Benish Jr., who has been trying to get the world's scientists to listen to his plan of using an atom bomb to destroy the asteroid. In this world, Einstein never successfully tested an atom bomb, sabotaging his own work so as to not unleash the great yet awful power upon the world. Also, because of no atom bomb, World War II lasted five more years than it did in our world. 
The professor and Benish use Einstein's plans to turn the unworking bomb into a possible solution. While working, Benish makes comments that worry Arturo, so he then steals some key schematics so that Benish won't be able to recreate the bomb at a later time. Eventually, with Quinn's help, the bomb is finished and launched, the asteroid is destroyed, the sliders reunite and slide out. Meanwhile, we see that Benish has discovered the stolen schematics dropped by Arturo in the celebration, and we end the episode with a maniacal-sounding Benish proclaiming, Anyone messes with us now? Boom! I have done more and seen more since we started sliding than I ever imagined possible. I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but I really feel connected to all those other weights out there. They're all me. If I die here, at least I know they're gonna go on. All right, well, how about a little bit of trivia on this episode? Okay, so now this one. We're going to start off with that Arturo's original idea, or the way they originally wanted to uh, have it go, was Arturo was going to erase the schematics with an eraser instead of stealing them. Um, and then later, at the end of the episode, Benish would actually watch the sliders slide out. He follows them, watches them slide out, and then he goes back to his place and pulls out a copy of the schematics that he had made a long time ago. Um, thus, he's able to recreate the atom bomb if he should choose to do that. So that was a that was an interesting little change. Nothing major, really, but he does get to witness the sliders sliding off. Interesting. Yeah. There's also there's a scene. To, to me, it seemed like there was a scene missing. I don't know what what you thought about this. After Arturo comes in and interrupts Wade and Quinn, they pull up in a limo to the Federal Space Agency. They go up the steps. They say a couple lines, and then they cut to commercial. When they come back from commercial. The group is back inside the TV store watching the coverage of the missile firing from there and, you know, outside on the sidewalk. There's no, like, I could not find any missing scene that was cut from a script, but it just seemed like an odd thing that they were in a limo and then, boom, they're back at the TV store again. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I guess the only thing I could think of was that they went somewhere to finish the bomb, and then once it was finished, mm. they left. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I, when I when I saw that, I was like, well, wait, we were just over there. Now we're over here. I just it <laughs> confused me for a moment there. So we also have the wife that Remy meets. He meets the wife and husband at this wild party. And, you know, the husband is looking at this girl and the wife says, eh, go ahead. Why not? You know, and so Remy dances with the wife. Hubby goes off to dance with this girl and, you know, and everything's cool. But originally, the wife was not okay with the husband going after this girl. It wasn't supposed to happen. She walks in on them in bed, apparently, and it leads to a, a fight between them yelling and screaming. And then it leads to a fist fight between Remy and the husband. And that's how they end up leaving the, uh, leaving the party and going to do the church work that they did later on at the soup kitchen. Following up with that, at the end of the episode, we were going to cut back to the husband after the world was saved, realizing that he just pretty much, you know, messed up his life. He lost his wife, his house is trashed, you know, like just everything's bad for him now because of his actions during, you know, what he thought was going to be the end of the world. Yeah, you can see how they want to streamline that a little bit because these those two are really just side characters for right, what exactly. is Remy's story. And then we come to what I, I thought would, would have been a great 
a great uh, a scene to have in, in this episode. Quinn and Wade go off to try to find their families. And instead of Wade's family not existing on this world, she was supposed to have met her mother. She was supposed to have found her mother. But on this world, Wade was never born. So when she goes up to her mother, her mother thinks it's some kind of joke or something. She doesn't get what the joke is. And, and Wade is very distraught by this because she feels like she's going to die alone because she doesn't even have her family now. You know, the asteroid's coming. Her family doesn't even know who she is. So it it was a very emotional scene, and it would sort of lead into, sort of set up what happens between Quinn and uh, Wade later on in the uh, in the basement. I can see how that would work for someone like Wade as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was I was reading it, and I was like, you know, this is awesome. This, this would have been great to have seen. And, and again, if anybody wants to read, you know, these alternate takes or alternate ideas, uh, dimensionsofcontinuity.com has a lost and found section. You can view it by seasons and see, you know, what was taken out and what was changed. Will you shut up that bloody noise? The fate of the entire world is in my hands, and I, I feel as if I got guitars exploding in my head. Oh, sorry, man. Why don't I put on something a little more mellow? All right, so getting into the discussion of Last Days, I wanted to start with the idea that Einstein foresees the destruction that the atom bomb can cause and therefore sabotages his own work. And as Arturo says, thus the world was saved. Right. Because I think it's a very common quote that people know. And Arturo actually even mentioned this in the pilot part two about Einstein's regret of creating Mm -hmm. the atom bomb. And he quotes Shiva, I am the destroyer of worlds. So the idea that Einstein saw what he had created and decided this, the world doesn't need this and therefore sabotages it. And yes, World War II went on for five more years. Longer than mm-hmm. it had to, but you know, was that a fair trade? Yeah, and that's that leads to very interesting discussions, you know, because like Benish says, you know, if we had the bomb, it could have saved all these lives. But what about all? You know, it's there's like both sides. You can see, you know, the positives and the negatives for sure. Yeah, and linked to that, we also have Arturo struggling with whether or not he should create it. He says, should we unleash the nuclear genie on an unsuspecting world? And he sort of comes around to say, well. You know, Benish makes a good point. Without it, is there even going to be a world? So he says, yep, yep, I guess so. But as the two of them work closely together, he starts to realize that he's not only unleashing an atom bomb on the world, he's giving that power to Benish. (laughs) And that's probably not good because Benish has pretty short-sighted views on what to do with disposing of nuclear waste or what to actually do with the bomb once you have that power. You know, I just thought of, if the sliders had a shorter window when they were going to slide out, would he have been conflicted as much to make the bomb? Like if they were going to slide out like in a day instead of, you know, two days, would he have still tried to make the bomb to save the world? Or would they have said, we're not going to unleash this on this world. We're just going to slide out, no interference, you know, what do you think? Yeah, it's a tough call, really, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. we know how the professor has felt about interfering in these worlds, and so far they've actually interfered a fair bit. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, you know, even going back to Summer of Love, where Wade sort of tells them about astrology. 
mm-hmm. and then uh, impresses her opinions on war and things like that. He was very upset about that. So I would like to think that Arturo would actually settle on non-involvement in this case if it was not directly impacting them. Right. That's that's what I was kind of thinking as well. I mean, yeah, it's going to destroy, you know, a lot of people. I don't know what the effects would be of a giant asteroid smashing into that section of the United States. How would it affect the rest of the world? You know, because the atom bomb affects the entire globe, you know, whereas the the asteroid might only affect part of the United States. You know, I'm not sure. It's a tough call. It is. It also made me think of whether or not they could slide into a world that no longer exists. Like if they, yeah. if they just came out in the middle of space, no air, no nothing, they're dead. Right. Because it's still, that's where Earth used to be. But for whatever reason, maybe it's not there anymore. Exactly. That, that would have been... Um, been like a, a, a terrible final episode though <laughs> yeah what <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh my god there's no earth dead okay cut the black i would have liked some sort of explanation on that mm-hmm. but i guess at the end of the day they just chose not to bring it up and right. allow us to speculate it here on a podcast 20 years later <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> but yeah i mean you could you could easily just say something like well the porthole doesn't open in non-oxygen environments or something like that oh that there you go that could be and i think later on down the line he is going to get into something about it doesn't open in a solid object and things like that Mm, okay but uh yeah as it stands they could easily just slide into a world that no longer exists (laughs) (laughs) okay so um what about the idea of banish's ultimate power over the world <laughs> as the episode ends right it's a little scary but like i just i don't know like we don't know enough about Benish to know like what what does he really want you know like we we, we know him he's funny he's amusing he's very smart obviously but like does he have like evil aspirations to be leader of the entire world i don't know if he does or maybe maybe having the ultimate power would turn him into that whether his absolute power corrupts absolutely that whole thing maybe I don't know. Yeah, I think Benish is a wild card, isn't he? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because we don't, we just don't know enough about what his values are, really. But the way he talked about the bomb was, uh, it was quite off. Yeah, it was, yeah. And you can see why the professor would suddenly panic mm-hmm. about what he was doing and try to remove key parts of the schematic. Yeah, he talked about it almost like you know, like he he was like loving this thing. It's like, oh yeah, you and me, baby, we are gonna do some stuff. It's it's like we discussed before. It's like if you could come back to these worlds to see what happened, like if you came back in like five years, could you imagine Banish as some sort of dictator or something like that? <laughs> the world right, would be yeah. screwed. Oh yeah, definitely. That would be an interesting world. Yeah, if they could come back, it'd be neat if like if they had stuck with the original idea of him watching the sliders slide off and then they come back, you know, and he knows that they have this power, you know, to travel between dimensions and everything. That that would have been a neat storyline to to look into as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because then he has the power of sliding combined with the power of nuclear energy, nuclear power. Well, we're going to get to a big bad guy that has sliding technology in the coming seasons, but... We are? We're not there yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
All right, so how about plans for the end of the world? Oh, yes. I thought this was interesting in that everybody mm-hmm. kind of got their own individual stories. Well, maybe not individual because Quinn and Wade kind of spend it together. Right. But our sliders do break off into three. We've got Quinn and Wade, we've got Remy, and we've got Arturo. So how well do you think they actually pieced together the episode telling these three individual stories? I think they did pretty good. I, I, again, they, they did. I don't think they did as much with Remy's as they did with the other two. You know, but I suppose you have to like pick and choose what you're going to do for each episode, you know, focus on particular characters more or less. But Remy's felt good, you know, him going back to the church, you know, obviously he knows, you know, he, he knows the church, he knows God, he's gospel singing and, and all that. So, you know, it makes sense that he would go there and then decide, well, you know what, I, I need to live it up a little bit, go out and show his wild side and then eventually decide, you know what, no, I, I want to go back and help him. I want to help. That makes sense for his character, I think. And I think at this stage of the show as well that remy's having a very hard time with everything almost every yeah. episode we see him lose Freaking it out. yeah <laughs> <laughs> on quinn mostly blaming quinn for for getting mm-hmm. him into this so you can see why he would just be like to hell with you guys for now i'm i've I've got to go and sort my stuff out. And he goes off by himself. But by the end, when he meets them back at the TV store, he says, you know, I can't face the end of the world without my friends. Right. So it is a gradual development of character mm-hmm. for him. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because he he, he doesn't know the other three. He only just met right. them because of the situation they're in. Exactly. So I think that's good. Again, one, mm-hmm. watching the show in order, it makes a lot more sense. Definitely. Of course, we also, you know, we went over Arturo and Benish. Mm-hmm. Quinn and Wade. So Quinn tries to work on the timer again. He's trying to mm-hmm. figure something out. I think it's underdeveloped exactly what he was trying to do. But uh, I guess he was just trying to get more power so they could slide early enough without the timer right. running out. That's the best mm-hmm. I can come up with. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure either. Yeah. <laughs> it's all above my head because I am not a, I'm not a, a slider. But it does progress what they've been throwing at us in the love connection. <laughs> I like that. I think, I think they did a good job with it. Just gradually, slowly, Wade saying, you know what? Let's stop working on this, you know? Let's, let's talk, you know? Let's talk about our feelings. Let's talk about what's going on here. We're facing the end of the world. This might be it for us, you know? Let's. Let's not worry about this. And Quaid has some uh, Quaid. Yeah, let me try. <laughs> Quaid. I just, I just shipped them. Look at that. I just shipped them right here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Keep that in. Keep that in. Quaid. You know. And Wade. She feels that she really appreciates sliding. She doesn't feel like Remy does at the beginning of the episode that he's blaming Quinn. She's not blaming him. She's, she feels connected to all her other dimensional doubles out there. So she's, she's happy that this has happened. You know, she doesn't want to die, of course, but she, she's fine with it. She's made her peace with it it's interesting in the fact that you know we're six episodes in and they've hit this love connection the two of them are coming together but as we know progressing forward the two of them don't really have a relationship in that right they do just remain friends knowing what's coming and seeing what's happening here makes it that much more i don't know intense maybe sad a little bit because you can see where it could go you know how it could work you see quinn like looking at her with a whole different look on his face than he's ever looked at her before. You know, you could see in his eyes, he's like, he's like, wow, this Wade's a girl, you know, (laughs) it's like, uh, this is, she's actually, I I might be interested in her, you know, and they dance and they kiss and it's, it's amazing, you know, and knowing that they're not going to get together down the line is like, well, this is just, oh man, you know, just, we want Quaid, you know, we want to see Quaid. (laughs) 
So, it's, you know, it is, it's interesting. But at the same time, you can see why it wouldn't quite go that way as well. Because right. every day they are putting themselves in the path of danger. No matter where they slide, there is an element of danger. I guess they couldn't have the time to develop a relationship. Yeah, no, it, all, it makes sense the way they, they went with it. I'm just saying, man, I like them together. <laughs> I thought this was a good episode. Very interesting plot points, end of the world and all that. Yeah, no, I enjoyed this one. I, I enjoyed this one more than I enjoyed Fever, for sure. E equal MC squared, it's in the bag. Mr. Benish, if we survive, I promise you this, I will dedicate my life to isolating the gene that makes you so obnoxious, and I will destroy it. <laughs> I love this guy. Okay, so getting into our next section, we don't have any direct messages from Earth Prime. That's right. <laughs> we thought this would be a good place to put this. As we mentioned in the last episode, our good friend over on Twitter, at OpenEdry, linked us to this almost like archive forum that sort of tells you how people were talking about the show back when it was airing. So now we've got messages from Earth Prime in time <laughs> <laughs> as as we go on i like i i'm at the end of my my school year here so i'm a bit pressed for time but as i go over the summer i'm going to be able to look into this uh this archival um forum here a little bit more and be able to pick some more things out that that go with the actual episodes we're talking about as it is i just sort of glanced at it and clicked on a couple different topics from back in 1995 to see what people were saying about sliders and there's there's a couple uh things that stand out a lot of people are uh are saying that well you know uh, it's kind of a copy of quantum leap you know which i can sort of see they are trying to fix things here and there you know but that's more of a time travel show this is similar but not it, it related but not the same you know not the same type of thing but a lot of people had those comments in there about about quantum leap and the similarities Interesting. There's another show that apparently was out at the same time Sliders was out that I have never heard of. It only lasted, I think it was 13 episodes called VR5. And apparently it was not very good. Well, obviously it was not renewed for, you know, any other season beside the first. But people are uh, mentioning that, yeah, this is a much better show than that VR5 that came out. And VR5 has to do with virtual reality and a scientist or slash girl who goes into this this enhanced virtual reality and affects the real world from within the virtual world. And she's working with some kind of mysterious secret organization that gives her instructions and missions to do in this world that affects the real world. So I, that, that's, that's the gist of what I could understand about it. And the, the general consensus is that VR5 is not that great, but this, that sliders is so much better than that. So there, there is a lot of support on there for, for sliders. They talk about some of the things that we've mentioned in previous episodes of the podcast about why did they wait in the car during the ice tornado instead of going to the house. They talk about the locations not quite matching up with our world, with Berkeley and the Golden Gate Park. They noticed that Fever, which aired after the pilot, didn't match up with the end of the pilot. They didn't realize that there was a production order and an airing order that was different. So they were not quite sure what was going on with that. I guess they wanted to see, well, of course, we all wanted to see, you know, what happened after the end of the pilot with the father showing up and all that. So those are a couple, uh, you know, basic things. Oh, they wanted to see a world where dinosaurs were still around, 
which hmm, good good call there 1995 Ooh, people predictions you know, some people were talking about oh is oj gonna show up you know because this is when the whole oj trial was going on <laughs> you know i'm like oh I, I i'm so glad they didn't go that way yeah they mentioned uh i i don't know if it's a book or a, i imagine it's a book it's it's by david gerald and it's called the man who folded himself and it sounds familiar, but I, I've never read it. Um, but I'm interested in reading it now. It deals with a man and alternate versions of himself going back in time and doing different things to see what the what the cause is later on. So, like we're talking about the sliders changing things and then coming back to that world. I guess that's what this book is about. Some guy who's able to do that, change things, and then go and see what those changes are down the line. So it sounds very interesting. Someone had mentioned that back in '95. There was a big question about the sliding equipment. And I never thought about this until now because they slide from Earth Prime and the equipment is there and they're just bouncing around alternate dimensions with the timer. Is the timer linked to the equipment back on Quinn's Earth? And like what happens if that equipment burns out, gets unplugged, you know, moved, destroyed? Are they still going to be able to slide? That's something that I never thought of, but it's that's. That's a good question. I guess in retrospect, you could just say, well, the timer is its own autonomous unit. That's how I always thought of it. And until this this uh, particular poster brought it up, I was like, oh, well, that's that's interesting, you know. And then I thought like on my own, I was like, hmm, what if all the worlds are sliding in? What if there are if there are other what if the timer can tap into those other machines in all these other alternate dimensions? Maybe that's why it can continue to work, even if the original machine got broken maybe it's able to tap into the the machines in other dimensions so i don't know that's just off the top of my head you know <laughs> well it's great to see that the, the people are uh, thinking this deeply about it even in 95 when it's airing oh yeah definitely and this these these were comments that came in you know shortly after the pilot just in the first episode or two that's what that's pretty much where i started the biggest thing that i i found is is interesting and I never even thought about this but people are wondering back then why was Rembrandt even there you know like why is this character on this show they a lot of them they, there's a lot of hate for for Remy in these early episodes some people are saying is he just there to throw a bone to the politically correct people we've got to have like diversity in the cast they they say he's the cause of a lot of problems he's whiny he just he's there for comic relief we don't need him there's not enough dimension to him you know which we get later they even go so far as to ask if sliders is racist i never even thought that and and very quickly there's a whole uh, a giant post about it where where they say well no he's he's not this is not a racist show but they're saying well you know we've got rembrandt and he's he's kind of not super smart he's just comic relief he talked about him being a step and fetch it character i looked it up and apparently step and fetch it was a black actor in the early days of cinema and he was actually the first black actor to be a millionaire but he played a very negative version of uh of a black person on screen um very offensive even considered like by today's standards but he was he was actually like a superstar uh, apparently and a step and fetch it was his stage name he had another name which i can't remember right now but yeah that they're asking like is Rembrandt supposed to be this character because the way he acts and talks and you know his contributions are not that great yet you know we know 
what's going to happen. But back then, they were like, I don't get this guy. Why do we even have him on there? So yeah, it's it's very it's very strange, you know. Like I never thought that like when i was watching it yeah and i guess if you really think about it our group of sliders is pretty diverse you've got young versus old you've got male and female you've got black and white so i guess you could see how maybe they did cast these people in the roles as a way of being diverse but yeah it's like you said i just i can't say i've really thought about it these are just a group of four sliders and I think they're all really great characters. Well, and that uh, that discussion about it being racist is still, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say it's still being discussed today, but someone posted in that forum just back in February of this year. So someone is still talking about it or thinking about it. Um, they were referring to how he calls him Q-Ball because someone had said, why does he call him Q-Ball? And I always thought, well, because his name is Quinn, you know. Q, the letter Q, ball. But someone's saying, well, no, that could be, it could be that he's calling him a cue ball, like on a pool table. So a cue ball is white. It's an insult to him. You know, I'm like, what? I, I don't know. People are, I don't know. It's a, it's a TV show. It's a character. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. just enjoy it. Don't try to find like the hidden messages, you know, like at least not that way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess I can see the parallels. Remy is the only person who calls him Q-Ball. Mm-hmm. But in that first episode of the pilot, when he first calls him Q-Ball, it is kind of just like, it's just a Remy thing to do. Right. Is yeah. to give someone a nickname. And then as the show progresses, it, it really is like a friendship thing, you know? It's, oh, definitely. That's the definitely. nickname he's given Quinn, so he's going to stick with it. I mean, in my mind, when I... You know, was watching it. I saw Rembrandt as like, and and Wade also as being like the everyman character. They they sort of represent what we're thinking, you know, because you got the professor and Quinn who are talking and thinking on such higher levels, and you need a character to sort of bring it back down to earth for the people who aren't so technical. And that's what I saw Rembrandt and and Wade as, you know, maybe Wade a little bit more. I saw Rembrandt maybe as a little more comic relief. But as the show goes on, obviously. Wade and uh, Remy are the more everyman type characters that you can identify with. Exactly. And they're the ones who can really develop. You see them sort of step Mm -hmm. up to the plate as we go along. They're the ones who back the idea of of getting involved, going with the adventure, going with the story, and and stepping up to higher extremes than what they normally would. So, yeah. So, it's interesting to see what people were thinking back then, but... Yeah, it's kind of neat to yeah. look back, you know, take a take a peek back in time, you know, see, <laughs> see what was going on in their minds back then. And I love some of the the ways they um they shorten sentences and stuff like that. <laughs> Computer speak, like we do, like right. it's it's a lot more common today. But yes, <laughs> even back then, people were uh, using computer speak in, in in the way they type. All right, uh, so two great episodes there, and I guess next week we will be discussing. The Weaker Sex, and then Eggheads. So really looking forward to that. Those are two really interesting episodes. Yeah, I remember Eggheads, and I, yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes of all. All right, so shall we give out our contact information? All right, so you can keep up with listener interaction by joining our Facebook group at facebook.com slash rewatchpodcast, and follow the show on Twitter at rewatchpod. And remember, you can always write us an email or record a voice message and send it to the rewatch podcast at gmail.com. And also, if you've enjoyed the show, please consider giving us a rate and review on iTunes. That's 
always very helpful for the show. Okay, so I guess it's time to get out of here. So until next time, I'm going to go and get some McDonald's. <laughs> we got a slide. The Rewatch Podcast is not associated with NBC Universal, St. Clair Entertainment, Fox, or Sci-Fi Channel. The use of any and all copyrighted material is only for parody, news analysis, critique, or educational purposes, as provided in United States Code Title 17, aka Fair Use. Music provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Copyright 2015, The Rewatch Podcast.